Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. Well, good morning, and thank you for joining us on this Sunday, July 2nd. Um, We are two days away from 4th of July, which is always a fun time to celebrate with friends and family. And I just wanted to spend a moment to invite you and and your friends and family to our 4th of July um, a meal that we have on Tuesday um, between 11.30 and 1.30 at the Waverly Community Building um, in Waverly. It's right after the parade. Um, so come on out to that and bring your friends and friends and family and just enjoy that time to celebrate and eat together. So um, it'll be a great time with one another. Well, today we actually are wrapping up our five-week sermon series as we've been looking on how to bless others. Now, this hasn't been the whole idea of hashtag blessed um, that we sometimes see trending on social media when people seem to always share those happiest moments in their life. But rather, it's this idea of the blessing that was given to Abraham so many years ago that he would become the father of all nations and then through him, God would bless all peoples. God tells him, I will bless you and all people will be blessed through you. He tells him this in Genesis, that everyone would then come to know God the Father and that everyone would come to know his love, to experience new life through Christ, and then one day experience eternal life in heaven. This is the blessing that we have received from God and this is the blessing that we seek to share with others. We saw during our five-week sermon series that there was no better way than to begin with prayer to seek the Spirit's guidance and directions as we wrote down on our piece of paper and then we've been praying over those names, the people that God and the Spirit have left on our hearts and placed on our hearts. And then we heard, or rather we listened with care. We learned the importance of listening to others and hearing their stories, their needs, and their heartache. And perhaps you even listened to them over a shared meal together. Setting aside our expectations and our traditions as we sit to eat with someone new, someone that was different than us. And then last week, we looked at the value of serving with love and how when we serve others, we serve God. And so today we conclude by looking at sharing the story of Jesus. Stories have a way of lasting for generations. The Bible, even in its earliest forms, would have completely auditory, just shared via mouth. The full Torah, or the first five books of the Bible, weren't actually written until the Jews were most likely exiled to Babylon. And so up until that time, all of the stories, the stories of creation and of Noah and Abraham and all the laws, all of these would have just been passed down generation to generation verbally. Now, as families and generations today even do, we often share family stories through through pictures or saved newspaper clippings or sharing memories together at holiday meals. Now, I know the stories in my family that most often get shared and repeated year after year are the ones that are pretty funny and most likely a little bit embarrassing. One story that gets shared in my my family is the one where I ran into at full speed when on a family vacation to a sliding glass door in an attempt to look at the ocean. Or when we were younger, when my sisters and I gave my younger sister some raisins to eat, which were really dried up grapes that we had left out in the sun for a few days. But it's even through these funny stories that they have a way to unite people and to bring communities together, to share in this experience of a story, and then to be able to share it and pass it on with their own children and the generations after them. But of course, the greatest story of all, the true story and the one we find ourselves living in today is the story of God's salvation of the world through Jesus. This beautiful story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. 
This is the story we get to invite others into, sharing the story of Jesus with those around us. And so today we're going to be looking at the story in Acts, where the Apostle Paul begins to tell others about the story of Jesus to a crowd of Greek philosophers. And you'll notice in your Bible, if you turn with me to Acts 17, that there's a small heading right above it that says, In Athens. And a few before this one, you'll see in Berea, and in Thessalonica, and maybe even on the page before in Philippi. So we're at a section in the book of Acts when Paul and Silas and sometimes their buddy Timothy were traveling around to all these different cities, telling lots of different people about Jesus. Now our scripture today opens up as Paul arrives in Athens, and they're in Athens due to the fact that he and his friends, Silas and Timothy, have caused quite a bit of an uproar as they've shared about Jesus in the previous cities, so much so that some of the Jews had actually forced them out of those different cities, following them and pushing them out of those as well. Well, so Paul lands in Athens, and he's waiting for Timothy and Silas to begin their journey of preaching and sharing the news about Jesus. Um, but before he goes to the, gospel, the synagogues to preach the gospel with them, he then becomes so distressed. He's, he's waiting for his friends to go start on this mission, but he can't help but start preaching just right where he's at. So read with me now on Acts 17, verses 16 to 34. And it says... While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, He seems to be advocating for foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they, had, where they said to him, May we know what this new, new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I can see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at the objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you as known. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven on earth and does not live in temples built by human hands, as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. For one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set before them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far for each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And some of your own poets have said we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that that is the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design or skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council, and a few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, and a, mem a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Demarius, and a number of others. 
The Apostle Paul is a great and fantastic example of someone who is just a master evangelist. He truly leans into this idea of being a cultural learner so that he can bless as many people as possible with the gospel. Now remember, Paul was Jewish by birth, but he was also a Roman citizen, and he was previously a Pharisee, so he was well trained in the scriptures. In 1 Corinthians 1 and 1 Corinthians 9, excuse me, he writes, To the Jews, they become like the Jews to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, so as to win those under the law. To the weak, I become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. Now, we may not all have the exact upbringing like, and giftings as Paul, but we do all share in the work of evangelism. Now, up until this point in our Blessed Sermon series, we've been working to bless others through prayer and time together, to, through listening and serving. But now there's one final step to really make it whole. Now, there's been a quote that's been around for a while, and it, it doesn't have a really clear identified author, although Mother Teresa has been quoted to say a variation of this. But it clarifies this point really well. And the quote is, At all times preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. Now the first four letters of bless the are the first half of the sentence. This preach the gospel at all times. Essentially in everything that you do at all times, preach the gospel. But the last part of the sentence, use words, is our last part of the S. Share the story, use words. If we just do the first four without the last one, we're incomplete. Likewise, if we just do the last without the four, the message is incomplete. It is a sign of our own Christian maturity in Christ when we speak about Christ and we have the ability to share his story. Now, Paul in our scripture is doing just that. He's going from town to town to share the story of Jesus. Now, if you've ever read in the previous chapters of Acts, which I'd highly recommend to do, it's a very action-packed book. But whenever he visits a new town, he'll typically start in the synagogue and he'll preach to the Jews, speaking even in their native tongue of Aramaic. He uses the Jewish scriptures with them and the prophetic texts to point them to Jesus. But in Athens, his approach is different. You can see in our scripture that he is so distressed about the state and the condition of the city that he's unable to wait till his friends get there to start preaching. He just goes and he starts in the synagogues himself. But then he continues on to continue preaching in the marketplace. Now, a few weeks ago, we had VBS here the first week of June, and we had a meeting hall upstairs in the sanctuary. Uh, it's where we worshiped, and we had our Bible lesson, and, and we, it was a little more organized. And then downstairs was our marketplace. And it was full of 10 different shops that the kids would have the opportunity to go visit. Now, there was only a quarter of the kids down there at any time, but I can tell you that place was always hopping. It was never quiet. And I can't even imagine a preacher trying to stand on a little crate or soapbox and just preaching in a loud and chaotic marketplace. But this is what Paul does. He is ready to share the story with Jesus with anyone that will listen. He eventually attracts enough listeners that some of them drag him to the hill of Aeropagus. And this is the place where the main courts would meet. This is essentially their meeting hall. In our VBS world, he would have started downstairs at the marketplace and then been asked to come upstairs in a little bit more orderly fashion to share the news that he had to share. And as I think about Paul preaching in the marketplace and seeing how distressed he was over all the people, it makes me wonder, though, how compelled I am to share the gospel with those that don't know Jesus. And more so, am I prepared to do it? In 1 Peter 3, it says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Am I prepared to share? 
Are you prepared to share? During college, I spent two summers living in Jacksonville, Florida at a program that worked on spiritual and leadership development. And one of the activities they had us do that summer was called beach evangelism. And so every Saturday we would walk on the beach and we would ask anyone that was, we could find anyone that was interested, if they would be interested in seeing a Bible illustration that would explain the main theme of the Bible in about three to five minutes. Now, if they'd say yes, we'd pull out this little card that had Romans three, Romans six twenty three printed on top. Now you're going to have to imagine this a little bit with me, but we would have these cards and we would start by that by saying something to them of, you know, imagine there's two cliffs and we'd draw one cliff on one side and one cliff on the other. And we'd say, you know, on this side is man and on the other side is God. If you were going to try to get from one side of the cliff to the other, how would you get there? And typically they'd respond by, you know, I'd, I'd have to have something to cross, you know, a, a bridge or a boat or something like that. And you said, yes, you know, well, we can't do the boat. There's no water. So we, we need some sort of bridge to get across. And so then we'd look back up at the verse and we'd go through that together. So first I'd start by circling the word wage. Now the verse at the top, Romans 6, 23, would say, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of Christ is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So I'd circle wage and I'd say, what do you think a wage is? Most people would say something they earn, a payment that they got from work that they had done. I'd say right on, perfect. And then I'd circle the word sin and I'd ask them what they thought sin was. And typically they'd think, you know, bad stuff. Anything I do that's bad. Um, which sometimes then would bring up the questions and the discussion of, you know, how do you know what's bad? You know, what makes it bad or good? And so we'd, we'd continue that discussion to say, you know, in this context, sin is anything that is, is not what God would want. Anything that is not right with God, something that goes against his ways. So then we'd circle the word death. And we'd maybe even ask, you know, if they knew someone that had died or kind of seen the finality of death and how it would end. At the same time, I'd also mention that this death was not just physical, but it, it mentions a spiritual death as well. And so next would come the hard question when I would ask this and we'd say something like, you know, when you die, do you think you would be found guilty of sin or innocent? And almost every time I talked with someone, they'd say, I'd be guilty. I've done bad things in my life. I know that I've sinned against God or at least something else. And so I would, I would be guilty. And so we'd look at that side and we'd say, you see, you know, the payment of sin, the payment of doing wrong is death. But then I'd put a square around or underline or something, the word but, you know, letting them know that we're not yet done yet. We, we went through the negative. We're, we're moving towards something new. And so then I'd circle and maybe even underline the word free. So free and then circle gift. And to emphasize that it is a gift, it is not something we earn. It's different than a wage. We're not earning it, it's given. Sometimes we even hand them a pen or a pencil that we were writing with and say, you know, if this was a gift, how would you know it's yours? And they say, well, I have to take it. I'd say, yes, you know, this is a gift I'm giving, but it's not yours until you take it. But it's completely free to you. And I also stress the importance that this is a gift of God. I'd circle that. You know, that God is holy and he's perfect. And he loves us so immensely, so much though, that he would only want to give us good gifts. And that good gift results in eternal life. So we move from this idea of the payment of sin, the payment of the wrong things is death. And then on this side we'd have, you know, the gift, the free gift of God, from God, is eternal life. So we've got a gift of life and a payment of death. But the one you see, we still have something to cross over. We have no way to do this. And so the last part we'd circle would be Christ Jesus. And so I'd start drawing, as we discussed, a cross that linked the two different cliffs on either side. 
meaning the free gift was only offered through Christ Jesus. And the last part of that is Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so I'd ask, what do you think Lord means? And typically people would say something like, you know, it's a, a landlord, or I have a landlord, I rent uh, my apartment right now for my landlord. And, or they'd say, you know, like a king and queen and they have lords under them. And I'd say, yeah, you're right, you know, but a Lord is some that you, you follow, that you listen to, that you are um, obedient to. And so then we talked about, again, this pencil idea that we referenced earlier. You know, when they would take that gift, they were saying, you know, hey, I'm not only receiving this gift, but I'm willing to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life, someone that is above me, someone that I'm obedient to, someone that I follow in everything I do. And when we have that ability, when we cross over from death to life, we have this beautiful gift of eternal life that then has become theirs. So once we would go through this illustration, the last thing I'd ask, you know, are you ready to receive this free gift of new life from Christ? Would you like to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Sometimes they'd say yes, and we'd rejoice and celebrate. Sometimes they'd ask more questions, and we'd invite them to church when we were there, and we'd continue to meet with them and answer questions. But whatever the answer was, however they responded, it was just this beautiful opportunity to practice and to share the story of Jesus. Now, I personally have not used this method of evangelism since those summers when I stayed and lived in Jacksonville Beach, but they gave me different tools to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that I have. The main thing is discovering the different ways that we can share the story of Jesus that feels authentic to us and to the people that we're talking to. Maybe that you will find that you can share the story of Jesus using an illustration like this or another illustration, or perhaps just sharing your own testimony when you came to faith in, with came to faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The second thing I want to point out from our scripture today is how Paul was not afraid to spread the good news to all people, no matter their race, their color, their language, their class, their upbringing. Now, he would start in the synagogues with his own people group, but then he moved to the marketplace in Athens to continue his message there. He saw how many gods they had worshipped in this city, and as opposed to degrading them and telling them they were doing something wrong or inappropriate, he instead acknowledges their commitment to worship. He even clarifies things in the Gospels with what they do know, things that they already knew. He comments on how one of their altars is to an unknown God, and that he is going to explain that to them, that this God is no longer unknown, but known. Paul did not quote from the scriptures like he did with his Jewish audience, but rather he quotes from their own philosophers, as you can see in verse 28. He took what they knew and then pointed them to Jesus. He knew his audience and he tailored his message to meet them where they were at. Now, a few weeks ago, I watched the movie um, called Air, and it's about Nike's rise to fame in the basketball shoe industry. But in this movie, you meet a gentleman named George Raveling who was actually instrumental in um, the movie and signing Michael Jordan. But George is still living today, but in the story and in the movie, he shares um, about a time in 1963 when he was doing security work at the March on Washington. Now he was on stage doing his security work when the last speaker spoke, and so he was so moved by the speech that then George asked for the transcript papers. And the speaker says, sure. Glad you enjoyed it and hands them to him. But later when he's looking through the transcript, he's trying to find the line that spoke so meaningfully to him, but he can't find it. Well, the speech was none other than the I have a dream speech that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave. 
What Raveling realized, though, was that Dr. King started his original intended speech, but he didn't finish it as written. He began to change it based on the needs of his audience. The famed I have a dream line was not part of the transcript from that day's speech. Dr. King had actually given a similar form of this speech before with that I have a dream line in it, but he seemed to change his speech mid-sentence on that day, on the day that Raveling met him because he was addressing and reaching the audience in front of him. The point being, though, is if you don't know your audience or you push a style on a listener that doesn't fit, your message, even if the greatest message of all time, will be lost. Paul preached to these Greek philosophers about the death and resurrection of Jesus in such a culturally effective way that even Dionysius, the member of the the council there, became a follower of Jesus with many other men and women. Paul figured out how to use a preaching and teaching style in a way that spoke directly to the hearts of the people that were listening. Now, if we want to reach those that are different than us, it will take time and energy to get close to them and to enter their world. Even Carrie references the beginning of our blessed sermon series. You know, we, we are much more effective and, and businesses and organizations are more effective if they don't focus first on the spiritual, but meet the needs in the community first and then share the gospel. When we spend time with and we serve with love and we listen to our friends, listen to people that are different than us, then we are able to share the story of Jesus. But when we do, I hope that we're able to speak of Jesus in a way that will allow them to hear the good news. Now, building these bridges across different boundaries is just the beginning. And I pray, though, that the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the bridges that he wants to build wherever we find ourselves. And this is not just some fantasy or dream, but rather with our own eyes, we will get to be able to see a vision of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is already in heaven. We'll get to see that vision come to life. As we stay the course in working to build these bridges, we can partner with Jesus and usher in the kingdom of God and then experience this beauty and this foretaste of what heaven on earth would be. You know, a few years ago, we even did a um, Sunday school class, an adult Sunday school class, and it was called One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. And the title of the book alludes to exactly this, the one thing that can't be on earth or that can be done on earth but can't be done in heaven is evangelism telling others about the greatest story ever so that they too can become believers in Christ and live eternally with him. Fortunately, though, we are not left to do this work alone to share Christ with others. We have seen that we begin with prayer and that we listen with care. We eat together. We serve with love. But none of this is done without the power of the Holy Spirit. As we commit to blessing others by sharing the story of Jesus, we can do so with confidence that God is always with us. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. This is the very same power that has raised the dead to life and now also lives in us. At the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus commissions the disciples to go and make dis- go to the ends of the earth. Now, if you look at the, these names on the map, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, they kind of look like expanding circles that, that ripple outward. First, we start in Jerusalem, and then the surrounding area of Judea, and then Samaria gets a little bit bigger, and then to the ends of the earth. It's a little bit like Waverly, Nebraska could very well be the ends of the earth. The disciples couldn't have even imagined Jesus, Jesus was talking about when he gave this command. 
Where is God calling you to bless others by sharing the story of Jesus? Today's population is around 8 billion people. And you may think that, you know, most people around here, they, they've heard the story of Jesus. You know, I don't need to share it here, but I wanted to give you a little information. Um, the Joshua Project is actually a research organization that seeks to highlight the marginalized people in the world that don't know Christ. And they separate this, um, uh, how much people know or would know about Christ into five different categories, kind of people groups of categories. They are the unreached, the minimally reached, the partially reached, excuse me, the superficially reached, then the partially reached, and significantly reached. Now, the unreached would be the group that has little to no evangelical presence and has no history of Christianity. The minimally reached has a few evangelicals among them, but a significant number would identify as a Christian. The middle group are of the superficially reached, are a group with few evangelicals and many that profess to be Christian, but this group has a large need for spiritual revival and a biblical commitment. The fourth group is the partially reached and has a modest evangelical presence. And then the last group of the significantly reached are those that have a significant evangelical presence. Now, if we put all those, the, the categories into numbers, it would look like this. So starting with the top, going to the bottom. So the significantly reached people would be about 22 and a half or about 1.8 billion people are considered significantly reached people groups. A little bit higher than that is 23 and a half or 1.9 billion people are considered partially reached. And then quite a bit lower, 6% or 500 million, 500 million people are considered superficially reached. And remember, this is the middle of the road. So they have an evangelical presence. Many profess to be Christians, but they have a need for um, a spiritual renewal or a biblical commitment. And so we drop it even lower to 2%. Only 200 million people are minimally reached. But the last one are completely unreached people groups. And this accounts for 42.5% or 3.4 billion people are completely unreached people groups. But whether or not you are called to relocate for the sake of the gospel we are all called to be God's witnesses by sharing the story of good news of Jesus with those around us, including to the people that are different than us. Now, if you're a believer in Christ, I want you to remember to pray for those whom you want to meet Christ. Spend some time writing down your own story about how you came to faith in Jesus. Commit to learning more about a culture that is different than yours, and then also ask the Holy Spirit for opportunities to build those bridges during your day so that you have the opportunity to share the story of Jesus. But if you're not yet a believer in Christ, then I encourage you to reflect on your own journey of faith. How do you see yourself in relation to Jesus? You too, though, can commit to learning about a different culture different than yours, to grow in your cultural agility as well as to consider how you might bless those around you. I love the sending that Jesus gives to his disciples in Matthew 28. And he says, All authority under heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. But the last part is the best part, and this is when Jesus says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
we now have the same confidence and the same spirit who empowered the disciples at Pentecost. He is present and here with us today, and he enables us to, to go and be effective witnesses of Jesus's saving love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as you sent Abram to be a blessing to the nations, now you send us in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Thank you that we can join you in this mission, that we can bring all things in heaven, on earth, in unity under Christ. We thank you that one day, and even on earth, we can see a little bit of may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church's information and events, head to bccwaverly.org.